and welcome to an objective episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. We're back to our NFL stuff. You know, I know you all love that NBA episode uh, as we get back to our basketball mood, but that's it for the rest of the year until the college ball comes a knocking. Uh, so we're staying in the NFL for this week's episode to preview week seven. Frank, how you doing? I'm doing lovely, Rodham. I appreciate you asking. Uh, we're here on October 22nd and tonight on television. We have a Thursday night football game between two of the greatest NFL teams ever. And we have a presidential debate. So uh, quite a spectacle in front of us. Riveting television. Pretty much difficult for anyone in the nation to decide what they will be watching. But before we start with that Thursday night game uh, between those two legendary franchises, uh, let's talk about the teams that aren't going to be there. You heard me say objective, and it's because... Uh, we have no biases this week, Frank. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens will not be playing a game, uh, so no one can get mad at us for that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Along with them, though, the Dolphins, the Colts, and the Vikings will be off. One of those teams has some big news coming out of it, a quarterback change. I am a little bit mad that it's not Indianapolis that will be getting it with Philip Rivers, who very nearly lost them a game, and a game they incredibly deserve to lose. Uh, they won basically off of Joe Burrow being a rookie and a missed field goal. Not a game you'd like, not a way you'd like to win a game. But I digress. It is Miami who will be changing their quarterbacks, changing away from Fitch Magic and switching over to the future of their franchise, Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we had been talking about this uh, all season, pretty much, specifically in the in the early part of the season when the Dolphins were struggling. Uh, we knew that Tua was going to take over as the starter for the Dolphins at some point. It was a matter of when, not if. Although the timing is uh, a little bit peculiar. I think the Dolphins are getting a little bit of backlash. Um, Maybe not necessarily from their own fan base, but from casual fans and spectators because Ryan Fitzpatrick, for better or for worse, had led this team to a 3-3 and record at the bye week, and they are just a game out of first place in their division. And we know that Fitzpatrick, based on his public comments, was a little bit distraught and taken back at the decision. Although, uh, you know, he's a pro's pro. He's been around for a while, so I'm sure he'll be supportive of Tua in the backup role. But, Rodham, you surprised that this happened uh, when it did. Uh, The timing actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. It it makes you think that this Dolphins front office and coaching staff kind of were planning on letting Tua take the reins after the bye week. Uh, The fact that it's happening right now, especially after a game against the Jets when he had a little bit of time to work his magic, I think is probably pre-planned. It is sad news for Fitzpatrick, who's not having the worst of seasons. Uh, Definitely is going to be a serviceable backup, especially if Tua, who is not unbreakable, nor is he proven uh, yet in the NFL. So there's still a chance that Fitzpatrick still finds his way out into the field. Uh, But I think the best news that came out of this week uh, about the topic is I think a great tweet from Kurt Warner, who found himself on the Giants in 2004, back when their franchise quarterback came in of Eli Manning. Uh, Kurt Warner shared a similar story of how he had to get benched after a pretty not bad game. Uh, But he even said, you know, it's hard to be holding that clipboard after a few good games. But for the end of the day, it's for the franchise. And Manning's two rings prove that Tua hopefully can follow the same path. Yeah, it's a good point. I did uh, like what Kurt Warner had to say as well. I think, uh, you know, for Fitzpatrick, this is kind of uh, unfamiliar territory because although, you know, he's no stranger to shuffling back and forth between being a starter and backup, usually he's the backup who's being promoted to a starter, right? Throughout his career, that's kind of been his MO. He's coming off the bench and becoming a starter um, versus this time he was the starter at the beginning year and now uh, he's kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. And you do feel for him, you know, to a certain extent. He is 37 years old. And uh, like he said, when he was addressing the media on Wednesday, you know, he felt like this was his team uh, for one of the first times in his career. And, and you know, he's not sure if, if that was the last time that, uh, that he'll be starting in a game. And, uh, you know, from that perspective, it is a little, a little bittersweet. Ultimately, it is two a time. So ready for that. It is to a time, something we are glad to hear, you know, we're claiming for it. It sucks for Fid's magic. He does have a Harvard economics degree to fall back on. So not too bad for escapes of making money after his career, though. We do have to move on here to two teams on Thursday night. As we mentioned, a great, great, great matchup in the best division in football. That's right. It's the NFC East who are on prime time for some reason uh, as the Giants take it to Lincoln. For no reason. For no reason. 
uh, as the Giants of New York take it to Lincoln Stadium in Philadelphia. Giants at Eagles. Giants are coming off their first win of the season, the first win in the city of New York, as the Jets still are winless, uh, 20 to 19 over the Washington football team, whereas Philadelphia was a two-point conversion away with tying up a game versus Baltimore, a game that many people thought they would be whooped in, and they kept them pretty close. Frank, how do you see this first of our two NFC East matchups going? Well, uh, this is honestly a coin flip. I mean, there's no right answer, I think, in this matchup. Um, when the line initially came out uh, earlier in the week, the Eagles were were as great of a five-and-a-half to six-point favorite at first. And then, as typically is with the Eagles, they it was announced that several starters uh, were not going to be playing in this game, notably Miles Sanders, Zach Ertz, uh, Alshon Jeffrey is still out, Jack Driscoll on the offensive line. Uh, Malik Jackson and uh, Kavon Wallace. So that's a lot of firepower for a roster that was already pretty thin. Uh, so I think there is there is legs here for a Giants upset. But ultimately, I'm going to stick with who I think is the better quarterback in this matchup. Uh, Carson Wentz obviously is having a down year for his standards, but I think you know what he's shown throughout his career and what he showed last week against the Ravens is that he's a fighter. And I know that's kind of cliche. But uh, he can make do with very little around him at times. And uh, it was a valiant comeback effort against one of the better teams in the league. And I think even being down his two top offensive weapons, um, I think the momentum is going to be great enough for them to squeak by the Giants here at home. Um, Although I do think the Giants are a good bet to cover that four and a half point spread. So I see the Eagles winning this game uh, by about a field goal. Uh, I'm glad you used that descriptor at the very beginning there. It's a coin flip because, to be honest, I flipped a coin to decide who I'm going to back for this game, uh, purely for the randomness of the division. Uh, You know, it's entirely possible that either of these teams come out with a win, and so I left it up to fate. You mentioned it, Ertz, Sanders, Jackson, Driscoll, Deshaun Jackson, Lane Johnson, who you forgot to mention, Alshon Jeffrey, Matt Pryor, and Avante Maddox will all not be playing, and those are quite a long list of starters that this Eagles team will be missing. And while the Giants managed to pull off a win very, very mishaply off a of Kyle Allen fumble, this is still a team that can win. Um, and this Eagles team doesn't boast enough of a offense that I'm worried about, about versus a Giants defense that has quietly been average, which not much of a compliment, but it still makes them better than a Giants defense of the last 10 years. Uh, and so I'm not really worried about this Eagles team, and I think the Giants can be just mediocre enough to catch up to them. It, that being said, if there was a second-round talent the Eagles could lean on as an additional offensive weapon who would have the added benefit of maybe easing things on the undermanned offensive line, uh, maybe throwing a little running plays, uh, then maybe I would change my mind. Uh, I don't know who that player might be. I don't hmm. know if there's even a player out there that I could be referencing. Uh, but at the moment, there is nothing good about either of these teams to make a logical choice aside from the logical choice to not watch this game. And yet, we'll probably still watch it anyways. Uh, and I look forward to watching it with you. But, Rodan, before we move on, i got to ask, was it heads or tails when you flipped that coin? Uh, it was heads. Uh, I was. I gave the bias of tails never fails to the Eagles, as it was probably going to be the team that I was going to find my way into defending, but the coin giveth and the coin taketh away. Uh, that it does. Uh, do you think the coin will giveth or taketh away with this next game? Well, to find out, you know, the circus continues as the other half of the NFC East meets at FedEx Field where the Cowboys and the Washington football team uh, are going to meet. So, you know, I mentioned it. I'm letting George Washington take my picks for me on the NFC East. And uh, for this one, he's betting on his namesake city. Uh, I got to support old George here, though. Uh, After watching both of these dumpster fire games last week, uh, where the Cowboys got destroyed on Monday Night Football 38 to 10 by the Arizona Cardinals and the aforementioned New York Giants won a one-point victory over the football team due to a fumble. Uh, I'm going to stand here with the football team who had a much closer game. Uh, and it's entirely because have been disgusted with what I've seen of the remnants of this Cowboys team. Every single strength that we saw from this team has slowly deteriorated. And this wasn't a team that had a long list of strengths aside from its offense. Its defense was known to be awful. But Dak is gone. Zeke looks like a shell of his former 2018 self, and the offensive line, which was once vaunted as an all-time group, has, sol- has fallen so far that their darter, Connor Williams, 
who was the worst player on that offensive line one month ago, has become their best. That None of that boasts well against an incredibly talented front seven. So I'm following George and the Washingtons on the line and the spread. Yeah, well, this is another toss-up game, right? The NFC least. Um, and in the same way that I picked the Eagles, but I wasn't entirely confident with that pick, uh, I'm going to take the Cowboys here uh, at minus one. Although, you know, you've made some good points, and I do think that there is legitimate upset potential for the football team, if you want to call it an upset. Um, make no mistake about it. The Cowboys got embarrassed by the Cardinals at home. Um, they haven't looked good. They've got some turmoil going on, reportedly. Uh, players aren't too fond of Mike McCarthy, the coaching staff, uh, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on in a little. But um, I think that, you know, it was the first game uh, with Andy Dalton starting. Uh, maybe they had to work out a little bit of the chemistry, get into a rhythm. It does scare me that this Cowboys offensive line is so beaten up and this Redskins defensive front is the strength of their team. Um, I do think it, they could potentially uh, wreak havoc on, on this Cowboys offensive line. And if they do that, it's going to be hard for the Cowboys to win. But I'm betting on uh, Andy Dalton being able to get the ball out quickly to his plethora of weapons against a secondary that, while they've overachieved this year in Washington, I don't necessarily think they have the personnel to match up with uh, what is probably the most talented receiving core top to bottom. So unconfidently, I'm going to take the Cowboys uh, for better or for worse at minus one with a narrow victory on the run. Uh, well, I wish you good luck, and I wish anyone who watches either of these NFC East games good luck, because there's other football games on, there's other things on television, just so you know. You know, you don't have to watch these games, and if you feel like you do, call someone. Get help. Yeah, that, that's good advice. Uh, real quick before we move on, uh, I want to throw a little prop at you here. If you had to put a number on the chances that Mike McCarthy is fired this season, keep in mind, he just signed a five-year contract this year, so I don't think it's reasonable, but you never know. I mean, I, there is rumors coming out that things are the wheels are starting to fall off there. Uh, if I had to put it, odds on it, I would have to put that he's going to get fired at probably around plus 300. I think Jerry Jones usually hires people for the long run. I mean, for years and years and years, we we're saying Jason Garrett deserved to get fired, and yet he stuck around for a long, long time, and I think we're going to see the same out of Mike McCarthy uh, because he's also going to get a big blowback of saying, yeah, this defense is bad. We need help on that side. Yeah, our quarterback is gone. And Dak is in there for the long term. So I, I think he's going to at least next season to try it again. Uh, and if he doesn't connect again and this defense flounders again, then yeah, he might be out the door. But this season, I don't, I don't see there. I don't think there's even a chance that he steps out that door. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thought experiment. And, you know, that is your guy. Uh, Mike McCarthy is your guy. So. He is. Uh, many people, uh, I, many people, including myself, like to forget, but he is most of the reason why I thought they were going to the Super Bowl. And it turns out uh, that he might be the reason they're going in the opposite direction. But we'll digress and try and forget that I made that very awful call and move on to a team that isn't very hard to call at all. Uh, it's our favorite part of the podcast every single week. It's the Jets period uh, because it's easy. We don't really have to talk about it. Uh, the Jets are playing the Bills this week and uh, the Bills are going to win. Uh, the spread is minus 13.5. The Bills are going to hit that. Uh, and the Jets money line at plus 500 uh, is something you shouldn't dare touch. Though, Frank, rumor has it you've got some props on this game. I do. Uh, we're going to draw out this Jets conversation as long as humanly possible, which seems to uh, get a little bit easier every week because uh, they're just they're just bad. Um, but I'm going to throw three different props at you with the odds on choosing yes uh, simultaneously. Um, will the Jets get shut out by the Bills this week? Is plus 9,000. Keep in mind, they did just get shut out by the Dolphins by a score of 24-0 last week. Uh, there's also, will they get shut out again uh, sometime this season? That's plus 175. Uh, and then the big, big number here is, will the Jets go 0-16? That's right. If they were to not win a single game this year, that's plus 300. So the Jets are bad. That's been established. The question is, is there a legitimate profit to be made uh, this week and for the rest of the year off of their badness? Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, let's get the easiest one out of the way. Are they going to go 0-16? I think so. I think this is a, a bad enough team to go 0-16. Uh, their easiest wins of the season easily could have been uh, this Miami game uh, versus Denver when they were beat up in week four. 
uh, and at Indianapolis week three. And that's mostly because of my hatred towards the Colts. Uh, but the remaining schedule is uh, Buffalo, Kansas City, New England, Los Angeles, Miami again, Las Vegas, Seattle, Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles, of course, I'm talking about both the Chargers and the, the Rams. Uh, and then a visit to Cleveland finishing off in Foxborough. I don't see them as getting anywhere near to a victory in any of those games. Uh, I don't see any reason why anyone should believe they do that. And with games against tough, tough defenses, I, I see there's a solid potential of taking that. Plus 175 uh, if they don't get shut out again. So I'm very confidently taking that 0-16. I'm very confidently taking that they will get shut out again. This week, will it happen? I'm a little iffy on that. I think there's always a chance they just randomly kick a field goal. So I'm never willing to bet on any specific game, but I think they could. It, I think it almost certainly will happen again. But Frank, what do you think about this Jets team? Yeah, I think 0-16 is, uh, is a legitimate possibility. I mean, you read off some of the games on their schedule. Uh, they could be playing not just the Giants, but the little Giants right now. And you might have a hard time picking them. Um, and at plus 300, you know, I mean, there's legitimate, there's legitimate value there. It would only be the sixth team in NFL history to never win a game. Uh, so why not? I mean, they're starting. You look on the field and their top skill players are Frank Gore and Brashad Perriman. And Joe Flacco is under center. Uh, it's it's not a pretty scene. But I will add that this week, would it be difficult for a team to get shut out two weeks in a row? Yes. I mean, is the NFL uh, teams you usually find ways to manufacture points. But if I was going to bet at a plus 9,000 clip for one team to get shut out at any point, it would be this Jets team. So if you're, if you're feeling bold, there's a lot of money to be made there uh, in week seven. A lot of money. You know, I'm going to throw out another statistic at you uh, that could have made you a lot of money as well. This season so far, the Jets are 0-6 against the spread. Uh, no team has ever gone 0-16 against the spread, the worst being the 1976 Buccaneers, who went 2-10-2. However, if you were to continue betting on this Jets team, starting with an $100 bet on week one, at this point, you'd have $4,862 continually parlayed. But if you were, every single week, to compound betting on the Jets against the spread, you could turn that $100 into $42,895.76. Getting this information off of a great post by Heel Kirk on Reddit. Uh, but yeah, fantastic, Frank. Uh, would you continue doing what we're doing, essentially, in every single week, just picking against the Jets? Yeah, why not? I mean, it, it seems like there's a there's a fountain of money to be made there. So, I mean, if you're down, I'm down. And I think the listeners would be down as well. I think they would. I think the listeners will also be down for us to stop talking about these terrible games at the beginning of this week's slate and move on to the biggest game of the week. Two 5-0 teams matching up in Nashville this Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, this was a game that was supposed to happen two weeks ago, but got postponed due to COVID-19. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers facing the Tennessee Titans. The Steelers come off of a 38-7 thrashing of the Browns, whereas the Titans come off an overtime win against Houston. Only a six-point victory that almost saw them lose the game on a very tough goal line stand to stop a two-point conversion. Tennessee here sits at plus 108, whereas Pittsburgh is favored by only minus two. Frank, how do you lean in the battle of the undefeated AFC teams? Well, this is, uh, without a doubt, the game of the week. I mean, one of these teams is going to be undefeated no more. And I know I have been a little bit harsh on the Steelers this year, and they've continued to just win uh, in my face time and time again. But I'm picking the Titans here. Plus 108 in the money line, and it's a two-point underdog. I think there's good value here for, for what I see as the hottest team in the league right now. And I know they just uh, managed to squeak by Houston in overtime. Um, and, and they did miss some opportunities down the stretch that made that game closer than it needed to be. I just like this Titans team a lot. Uh, I, I say it week after week. Um, I don't think there's really an answer to completely stop them right now. For as good as the Steelers' defense has been, uh, the biggest factor here for me leading towards the Titans is that the Steelers are not going to have their one of their best defensive players in Devin Bush, who suffered a torn ACL last week. And he would be the matchup guy you want against Derrick Henry, uh, if anyone on this defense. And I think that without him in the lineup, it's going to be hard for the Steelers' defense to slow the Titans down enough to, uh, to pull off a victory here. I know that the Titans' defense has been spotty. They give up 36 to Houston. So I do think this could be a potential high-scoring fair. Um, but I think, you know, I expect Derrick Henry to have another strong game on 
the ground. And I think Brian Tannehill will make the plays through the air to lift Tennessee over the finish line in what should be a, a very close game down the stretch. Yeah, you bring up a good point with that. Uh, Devin Bush, you know, I'm, I was really sad to see him get off the field. You know, former Michigan guy, absolutely love to see him. I hated when he went to the Steelers, but he's been playing absolutely fantastic, pretty much on his way to an all-pro nomination, I think, if he had finished out the season. Uh, but that's not the ACL injury I'm most concerned about this week. Uh, well, yeah, Devin Bush is going to have to deal with that. The guy that I'm concerned about is the other Michigan guy that tore his ACL, Taylor Luan, on uh, the left tackle for the Tennessee Titans. He was yet to allow a sack in all five of these games, and he was going to face, he was probably going to be the biggest matchup for this Steelers defense. And yeah, you're right. You know, they're going to lose quite a lot of things on the defense by losing a guy who could run a 4 40 in coverage. But purely stopping the run, the Steelers were the number one team in DVOA versus the run. And with guys like TJ Watts, Stephen Twitt, Cameron Hayward, and Bud Dupree, I'm not too concerned about that. I'm concerned more about who's filling in at the blind side of Ryan Tannehill, because if he doesn't have that constant protection, I am kind of concerned about what that passing game is going to do. And yeah, sure, Derrick Henry's probably still going to have an 100-yard game because he's Derrick Henry and can do that. But I think the more concerning ACL tear here happened on the offensive line that needs a little bit more perfection than Devin Bush who has pretty competent replacements, as we saw three years ago when this exact situation happened to Ryan Shazier, albeit a more gruesome injury. But the Steelers recovered from that with straight wins following Shazier's departure. I wouldn't be surprised if they make him away with this game, and I am sticking with the Steelers here. Yeah, I mean, two brutal brutal losses for both teams. I mean, left tackle and starting inside linebacker, two great players, two Michigan players, like you mentioned. That's a tough scene. One thing I would add, though, is to keep an eye on the injury status of Jonu Smith, the Titans' tight end, because uh, Devin Bush, you know, for as good as he is against the run, Steelers usually tend to match him, match him up in coverage against tight ends, where his speed uh, comes in, the ha- where his speed uh, really comes in handy. And Jonu Smith is questionable for this game with an ankle sprain, but if he can go, uh, he could potentially have a big game without Bush in the lineup. Absolutely. A lot of key injuries here, and uh, it's crazy to see, but we will have to see. I'm very excited to this game. Once again, if you, for any reason, were considering to watch the Washington football team play the Cowboys, please, please change your mind. There are streams online. You can find this game on TV at the same time as that game. Please watch this game. Don't put yourself in the harm that is watching an NFC East game this week. Yeah, just flip the red zone because you won't see, uh, won't see much of the Cowboys in Washington game on there anyways. No, you won't. Uh, but we'll move on to another good game that we will want to talk about. Uh, we're on to the Dome, where an NFC South matchup takes place between the Saints and the Panthers. Great news for the Saints is that reigning Offensive Player of the Year, Michael Thomas, is going to be back. Uh, whereas we're going to have to wait one more week for Christian McCaffrey to return to the Panthers, which is pretty bad news uh, for this Panthers team. I know you're pretty high on them. They did just manage to keep a pretty close game versus the Bears, though, ultimately losing 16-23, to whereas the Saints are coming off a bye week. New Orleans is favored by a pretty hefty 7.5. Uh, Panthers money line at plus 275. Frank, you're a big believer in these Panthers. What do you think? Yeah, I have been on record uh, during the season being a fan of this Panthers team. Uh, they did let me down last week against the Bears. A couple more things go their way. Uh, if they capitalize in the red zone a little bit more, I think that game is closer. They might have actually had a chance to pull it out. But one of the safer bets in football is the Saints winning after a bye week. I mean, Sean Payton is the NFL's winningest coach after bye week since 2009, going 8-2 and two in those games. And, I mean, he just has this team prepared coming after the break. Uh, and I expect that to be the case here. Although I think spotting them 7.5 points is a little bit too generous because uh, although Michael Thomas is coming back, I think what we've seen from the Saints team this year, especially especially over the past couple weeks, is that they just don't tend to cover the spreads that well. I mean, we saw that in their last game against the Chargers. They were a seven to eight point favorite, and they only squeaked that game by an overtime. And then against the Lions, they were up by multiple touchdowns heading into the second half of that game. And they only ended up winning by six points. Um, so I think Carolina is built to keep games close relatively. Uh, whereas the Saints team is not necessarily built to blow teams out with the way that their passing attack and offense has been somewhat methodical this year. So I like the Saints to win, but I like Carolina to keep it close enough to cover that seven and a half point spread in a divisional matchup. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you on both of these counts. Um, I'm really starting to come around on this Panthers team. I got to admit, every game they've played this season has been really enjoyable, and it's it's kind of hard to root for them. Uh, they're, they're a young, scrappy team. I talk about it every week, but how everything changed for them, and I think uh, it's really impressive to see how how good they've managed to come out of it. But um, at the end of the day, it's not it's hard to root against them, but it's not too hard to bet against them here. Uh, like I said, this is a fun, scrappy, well-coached team. Uh, but this is the kind of game where their lack of talent catches up to them. Uh, in an away game where four of the five best players taking the field will easily be Saints, Drew Brees and Sean Payton, like you said, mentioned boast a fantastic record after a bye. And I think that that's going to continue here. You mentioned it was eight and two. I would not be surprised to see it go nine and two. That being said, it's too big of a spread. And I see the back door being left wide, wide open uh, far by the time that they might be benching Michael Thomas just to make sure he's safety concerned. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Panthers march up the field and make this maybe a six-point game at the very end. Uh, so I'm sticking right there with you with the Panthers probably taking the spread, but I think the Saints are an easy call here. Yeah, I'll just of note is uh, the Panthers have only beaten the Saints one time since 2017. Uh, I think this Panthers team is better than the one last year, whereas the Saints team is a little bit worse than they were last year, uh, which is why I think Carolina plus seven and a half is uh, is the best bet here. Got to got to agree. Uh, so let's uh, move it along down a little bit more southern than the dome. We're going to take it to Houston, uh, where the Packers and the Texans are going to meet up. The Packers were the laughing stock of this week's NFL, uh, losing thirty eight to ten to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, whereas the Texans lost, like I mentioned, an incredibly close game, 36 to 42 in overtime. I'm surprised to see the line is only at minus 3.5. The Houston money line is at plus 155. Texans versus Packers, pretty north versus a pretty south team. Frank, where do you lie on your compass? Well, I'm lying north here in a big way. Um, I reckon you might agree with me in the sentiment, but I think Packers minus three and a half is the best bet of the week, um, of the entire week. Um, I think that after a, a gut-wrenching loss, a very embarrassing loss over the Buccaneers last week by 28 points, Aaron Rodgers played terrible, and the Packers played terrible. No one really expected that, and it happened. And Aaron Rodgers said earlier this week, addressing the media, he said he felt like the Packers need a little bit of a wake-up call. And uh, to phrase him exactly, he said, I think we needed a little bit of a kick in the ass. Uh, so if Aaron Rodgers is motivated, I'm taking him to win this game. And I think they're going to win pretty handedly. Yeah, I got to agree with you. And it feels like once every year there seems to be a game where Skip Bayless and all of his fellow Rodgers haters get the chance to drill the two-time MVP Hall of Fame lock. Uh, and I got to admit, I'm not, I'm not as big a fan. I never have been. But this was about as out of an ordinary game as you get. Took his first four sacks of the season, threw his first two picks against what is, at the moment, DVOA's number one defense versus the pass and also in general. Uh, this Houston defense is simply not in the same galaxy as Todd Bowles and his Bucks. So look to look for Rodgers to carve this Texans defense like a Thanksgiving turkey to remind people that last week's pick six, only the third of his career was merely a fluke. It, it's such an easy call. Put the house on it. Packers minus 3.5. Yeah, I think we'll be seeing a lot of hip thrusting for Aaron Rodgers in the end zone this week. Uh, it didn't work out so well last week because they... They proceeded to blow the lead and get outplayed after he did that. But, uh, Maybe Rodgers will keep the key and peel in the pocket until he's sure that they've gotten a victory, which shouldn't take too long, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, uh, great pick for both of us. Let's see if we keep the agreement going on. You know, we only disagreed on the first three, and that's mostly due to a coin flips. So uh, let's move it on to the second iteration of the Battle of Ohio. Uh, nothing must have changed for either of these teams since their last meeting in week two. Uh, but this week, the Bengals coming off a incredibly close, they deserve to win loss versus the Indianapolis Colts 31 to 27. I'm still incredibly mad about that game. Cannot believe they missed that field goal. Cannot believe that Philip Rivers got another victory to his name. Uh, I'm still upset about Philip Rivers. Uh, but, you know, I digress. Cleveland also lost 7 to 38, got beat pretty bad. I'm still mad about Philip. Frank, take it away. Yeah, well, you're mad about that game. Uh, I should be the one who's upset because I foolishly picked the Browns on the money line to defeat the Steelers last week, and they proceeded to lose by 31 points. Uh, so that's not great. And this Browns team, while well, 4-2, and two, they've beaten the teams that they should beat. And against the Steelers and Ravens, the two top teams in that AFC North, they have lost by a combined 76-13 to 13 points. 
uh, wrote them. I'm no Albert Einstein, but I would say that's not very good, right? Uh, no, no, it is not. But with that being said, I like the Browns here to bounce back uh, against the Bengals team that's on a losing skid. And, you know, when with this Bengals team, and more specifically Joe Burrow, you, you take the good with the bad. Burrow has shown over the past two weeks uh, some rookie growing pains that, you know, you expect to see with any quarterback, even the number one overall pick. You still see the flashes and, and the 300-yard passing games, um, but he's going to make some mistakes, and that's bound to happen. Uh, and this Browns defense is not great, but I'd say they're opportunistic, uh, especially in the secondary. They tend to take a lot of chances and jump on balls to try to get interceptions quite frequently. Uh, and if they manage to get one or two this week, I think it's going to help them. And I do think they'll get an interception. And I think that Baker Mayfield, although he is questionable with the rib injury, I expect him to play and, and play much better than he did last week. And I think Kareem Hunt should find lots of running room against a Bengals defense that is not good against the run. And I like the Browns minus three. Yeah, I mean, nothing's really changed. The Browns are still very good at running the football. Uh, they have the most rushing yards per game in the NFL, including 215. Uh, last time they played the Bengals, the Bengals, meanwhile, are still bad at getting any sort of defense going on. Uh, if you put away that one game last week versus Phillip Rivers, uh, you know, any quarterback that doesn't have nine kids, uh, they allow nearly 430 yards per game. Baker Mayfield is not that great of a quarterback, but I don't know if you saw that meme that's been going around Twitter of the Baker Mayfield cycle. Uh, we've gotten to the point where he's now got to beat an inferior opponent. This is it. The Browns are going to win here. Uh, I'm usually on the side of the Bengals to keep games close, but I don't think Joe Burrow's got a competition win here. In a battle of number one overall picks, It's it's got to be the Browns. Big statement game here for Baker Mayfield. I mean, you got to outplay your uh, number one overall pick compadre in the division. So look out for that. Yeah, a little Heisman on Heisman action. Something we'll see in the next game we're talking about. Well, both of these quarterbacks were incredibly vaunted during their college careers. They did not win the elusive award. It is our final game of the one o'clock slate. It is the Lions of Detroit playing the Falcons of Atlanta. Uh, Detroit is coming off a 34-10 to victory over Jacksonville, whereas Atlanta is coming off its first win of the season, a 40-23 to beating of the Minnesota Vikings. I'm incredibly surprised here, and I think you are going to be too. Atlanta's somehow favored here at minus 2.5, despite only winning one game all season, and the Lions currently sit at 3-3. Three and three. Uh, But the Detroit money line's at plus 120, so at least it's profit to be made if you're picking the Lions like I am. Frank, are you? I am as well. And Vegas has never loved a bad team more than they love the Falcons, because we've seen the Falcons... Uh, be favored by multiple points now in the past couple weeks against the Panthers. Now here against the Lions. Uh, they lost that Panthers game. I think they'll lose this Lions game as well. Uh, we talked about how when a coach is fired, that usually propels the team to go on a little bit of a winning streak or specifically win the game immediately following the head coaching firing. And we saw that manifest last week as they thoroughly outplayed the Vikings, something uh, I didn't foresee coming. But I don't think they're going to make it two in a row here. This Lions team, two and three, but I don't think they're that bad. I mean, since that week two blowout loss to Green Bay, they beat the Cardinals by three points. They only lost to the Saints by six points. And then in a game where Matt Patricia's job might have been on the line, they showed up against the Jaguars in one thirty-four to 16. So I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. But I like Matt Stafford in company to uh, pull off the upset, quote-unquote upset. Yeah, and it's the company that's got to be the big part, right? Uh, I know the Lions' name has been poisoned in recent memory, especially with the fact that they're being uh, on the underdogs here. But this year's iteration kind of feels like the building block to a future NFC North competitor. I mean, DeAndre Swift looked absolutely fantastic. His 54-yard run was one of the best of the weekend. Uh, Yet it somehow wasn't the best play of the week, as Kenny Galladay made one of the craziest catches of this NFL season, which is saying something because we've seen a lot of crazy catches, especially by players wearing white and blue. But Galladay is absolutely insane. And you go to their offensive line, you got Jonah Jackson, who I think is one of the best younger offensive linemen we've seen this season. Uh, and they've got a lot of great building blocks to build around. Uh, and it really shows how multifaceted this offense is. And it could easily take advantage of a defense that is the worst in the league at defending the pass, allowing an insane 335 yards through the air, including 29 plays of greater than 20 yards. 
if you know anything about Matt Stafford, you know what he likes to do is just bomb the ball downfield. And Kenny Galladay should be salivating to be able to take advantage of this weak, weak Falcon secondary uh, and have more plays like he did this week. Uh, expect a few home runs from Stafford and uh, the Dirty Birds should be on the ground. The over-under is for this game is at 55 points. Sounds like you're leaning towards the over. Uh, I am. I don't expect Matt Ryan to be quiet this entire game, but Matt Stafford in the Battle of the Mats should uh, put a little bit more points on the board. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you there. And if the Lions have, the Lions hope to have any chance of contending, uh, they need a winner. Absolutely. Um, and that that's going to be that for our one o'clock slate of games. Let's move on to four o'clock. Uh, as we see a battle of two birds, we got the Falcons and the Eagles out of the way. The Ravens are on by. So the final two birds of the week, the Seahawks facing the Cardinals in Arizona. Uh, the Seahawks got the, their last week off on a bye, whereas Arizona, um, as we mentioned, managed to pull out a 28 point victory over Dallas uh, on Monday night football. Seattle here is favored by minus three and a half with the Arizona money line at plus 165. Which bird are you putting your money on here, Frank? Well, Redham, I try to pick at least one upset game a week, uh, and this is the one I'm on. And every th- all the numbers and all your moral convictions would tell you to take the Seahawks in this game. And, and it's difficult for me to bet against Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll coming off a bye. I mean, I talked about how good these Saints were coming off a bye week. Uh, the Seahawks are 6-1 and one in their past seven games in that scenario. And the Seahawks are 5-0. and oh. I think they're going to be fresh and ready to play. But I like this Cardinals team in this game, and I can't exactly put my finger on why that is. Um, but it is worth noting that last year, these teams split the season series one to one. And in that week 16 matchup, the Cardinals won by a score of 27 to 13. And I think they might have the benefit of momentum here uh, working towards them. Despite being four or two in the season, they've been a little bit up and down. It's been kind of a roller coaster. I think in that primetime spot, blowing out the Cowboys like they did. That could be uh, a building block moment where it kind of propels them forward. I like them to keep it rolling here over the Seahawks in an upset divisional victory at plus 165 on the money line. I can see where you're coming from this one. I think this is another really close game that could come up to a point flip, but you know, this is the first of four straight NFC West matchups for the Seahawks. Uh, and it starts here with the Cardinals uh, and a game with the over under sitting at 57 and a half, the highest of the week. And I think maybe one of the safest bets is actually to take the over on this game rather than betting on either of these teams, because this should be a very, very coin flip type game. Uh, but with the fact that the best defender on either of these teams, Chandler Jones is expected to miss this game. Uh, I think that puts probably the top 12 to 14 to 15 players on in this game to all be on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and I'm expecting a lot of points. And because of that, I think you've got to give the props there to experience uh, with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, because the mistakes that we could see Kyler Murray and a much younger team make uh, aren't ones that we're going to see an MVP type candidate and a Super Bowl winner like Russell Wilson make. And this is going to be a kind of big game for him. I feel like if he steps up and has a great game like he did early in the season, that fire of him being the prominent MVP candidate is going to be reignited, especially if he can pull off a much bigger win. And I think that minus 3.5, while I could easily see the Cardinals winning it, I think the Seahawks need a lot more out of it. And I think the Seahawks are going to be able to stay on the field a lot more than Kyler and his Cardinals. So I've got to go with there. A no defense type game. All offense. Can't wait for that shootout. Yeah, I can't wait either. And I fully expect to be potentially wrong about this. Uh, I think the Seahawks could definitely win and cover their three and a half point spread. But I like the Cardinals there in an NFC West upset. One factor, though, that we have yet to mention for the Seahawks could be uh, that this might be their first. This might be their last game without a certain someone on the roster. Big news coming out of yesterday through Adam Schefter. It turns out that the Seahawks are expected to make a push to sign Antonio Brown when he becomes eligible after week eight. Uh, though, according to Adam Schefter, they also not alone. Uh, if we see a loss here, do you see a solid chance that, that Pete Carroll tries to bolster up this team and especially that wide receiver core and pick up a guy like Antonio Brown? Well, I think they would probably look to explore that option uh, win or lose in this game. Uh, I mean, the rich get richer sometimes. We saw that with Le'Veon Bell signing with the Chiefs. And I would not be surprised at all if Antonio Brown was scooped up by the Seahawks when he's available. I mean, the Seahawks, they have a stable organization with a strong culture. And this is the team that, you know, gave Josh Gordon more than a few chances over the past few years. And uh, like Josh Gordon, you know, Antonio Brown, he's had some off-the-field baggage in recent years as well. Uh, So if any team would do it, 
I think the Seahawks are a good bet. Yeah, I got to agree with you. It could be a good place. That Josh Gordon comparison is good. So much like Josh Gordon, we saw this guy play for the Patriots, another organization with a strong culture that could potentially put him in a good place. That didn't work out. So I'm hoping that maybe Brown uh, regains his good footing and becomes a great third weapon for the Seahawks team. Uh, but, you know, that that's something for us to figure out next week as we move right along here. Right along to another game that I've at this point, I kind of feel like might deserve another Jets kind of treatment. In a galaxy far, far away, the Jaguars once won a game versus the Colts, once again proving how bad of a team that is. It, it looks like the Minshew magic has gone from uh, Minshew the white to Minshew the gray to uh, Minshew to soon be replaced. Frank, is it even worth talking about this game? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a little bit of break. I'll give it a little bit of a description, at least. They're playing the Chargers in Los Angeles. The Chargers coming off a bye week, whereas Jacksonville just lost by 24 points to Detroit. Uh, Chargers favored by 7.5. Jacksonville money line at plus 290. Is this a Jets-type situation? Are you blindly taking the Chargers? Well, I am blindly taking the Chargers. Um, I don't think the Jaguars are as bad as the Jets because they, they, do, they have won a game. Like you said, we should give them uh, credit where credit is due. But like you said, fortunately, that win was a long time ago. And this is their last game before a week eight bye. For what it's worth, I guess it's worth absolutely nothing. I like the Chargers here at minus seven and a half at home. Uh, and Justin Herbert, what do you have to say about him, Rodham? You impressed with the rookie quarterback? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow might have found himself in a bad position to win the award, but Justin Herbert, currently my favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, hmm. I don't know if I don't know if that's a hot take. I do love Burrow a lot, but I I think if he doesn't manage to put wins on the board, he's not going to be able to do it. But luckily, Herbert's got a great chance to put another W beside his name. Uh, and though the Chargers hold the same record as the Jaguars, they look like an NFL team with structure and a defense. I would hope that they look like an NFL team. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know if you can say the same about the Jaguars, but yeah, I think I think Herbert looks absolutely fantastic. He's actually 12th in QBR right now, which is ahead of guys like Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, and even Joe Burrow. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm really impressed with him. I think it's a great chance for him to have a, a cupcake kind of game uh, to bring his stuff together. Uh, and that also bodes well for the fact that Melvin Ingram, uh, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, is coming back to the other side of his field. Now, that's really, you know, talent talk. And the Chargers are the only ones in a conversation this week. Yeah, talent talks and the Jaguars walk. And I think that's going to happen there. Uh, of note, Chargers won and four this year, but all four of their losses, and including their lone victory in week one, have come uh, within a single possession. So I think this is, a, uh, this is their breakthrough week where they win by double digits. Absolutely. Uh, Got to have a lot of faith in them. Uh, and, you know, we'll see. Maybe next week we come back and the Jaguars will start getting that Jets tournament. It's something about that J uh, that really does it to teams. But, yeah, let's keep moving here to a, a big reunion of uh, apprentice versus former mentor as Jimmy Garoppolo and his 49ers head over to Foxborough to play the Patriots. The Patriots surprisingly lost to Denver uh, by six last week. Uh, not a pick that many people had. Neither of us had it. Uh, even though New England was favored by nearly 10 points and San Francisco came off a big win, eight points over the LA Rams, the battle of California there. Uh, this time we go coast to coast and New England is favored by minus two and a half. San Francisco favored San Francisco money line at plus 115. Frank, where do you lie between the Niners and the Patriots? I think this is the toughest game of the week for me to predict uh, with those NFC East games that we talked about at the beginning. Those were coin flips, but just because all those teams stink, but these are two teams that are actually competitive. And I was wrong about both of these teams last week. I thought the 49ers would lose to the Rams. Uh, they won by eight points. And, and like you said, we both thought that the Patriots would win convincingly against the Broncos, and that did not happen. And these teams are in interesting spots. I think they both underwhelmed slightly this year relative to expectations. Um, I, I like the Patriots here. Uh, minus two and a half. I'm not entirely confident in the pick. I'm going to say they're going to win by a field goal. It's going to come down to the wire late. They've lost two games in a row. Um, we keep saying, you know, Bill Belichick won't lose uh, another game in a row. And, and it's happening. But the 49ers here without Raheem Mostert, I don't think their rushing attack is going to be quite as potent. And that is the strength of their team. So while they're able to shield Jimmy Garoppolo against Sean McVay-led defense, I think Bill Belichick will find a way uh, against his former grasshopper, like you said, his young Padawan. I think he'll find a way to rattle him 
uh, enough to get a victory here. Yeah, yeah, this is such a hard. You might have just convinced me to cross the line, but I think I've got to stand pat here. Um, and it's because one of the biggest strong suits, one of the biggest strengths of the Patriots for the entire time that not only Tom Brady has been there, but Bill Belichick has been there is fantastic, fantastic drafting and free agent signings of offensive lines. And this offensive line is just purely putrid. I mean, they can't even figure out who's starting where. I mean, right tackle Jermaine Elmenor is gone. Right guard Shaq Mason has officially been ruled out for the game due to COVID-19, which has forced left tackle Justin Huron to flip sides. Guard Joe Tooney is playing center. Tackle Isaiah Wynn is playing guard. And a man named Hajelti Froholt is going to be starting in his first NFL game at guard to replace Joe Tooney. Uh, And last week when they did all of this and they started with that exact same line at halftime, it ended in Cam Newton getting sacked four times and eight direct QB hits due to the failures of the makeshift line. Not just QB hits because Cam Newton was outside of the pocket or anything, directly because one of his offensive linemen failed to make a block. I, I just can't trust him. And I'm not, I'm not taking this bet at all based on anything in San Francisco. I just think that if a team can't have its offensive line in a game that should be this close, you can't trust them in a drive where they need to get up the field. And I, I'm, I would be concerned about that uh, majorly if I were to put money on New England. Uh, and I can see myself regretting this bet. You know, I hate betting against Bill Belichick, but we do say that every time he loses. And it's happened multiple times a season for them to, back, to lose back-to-back games. And th- this is the moment, Bill. You know, this is the moment when a coach that has so much experience with offensive lines needs to step in and work out the kinks. But as it stands, this group is going to lose the game for New England. And I- I've got to back Garoppolo, who can just game manage his way through a win. Yeah, well, it's definitely... Uh... There's a lot of toss-up games this week, and I think this is the the cream of the crop. But, you know, you mentioned it. The Patriots, they're 2-3 and three right now this year. They have a losing record. And yet Vegas is still pretty confident that they're going to finish with, with a winning record this season, for better or for worse. Uh, they're minus 200 to have a winning record in the regular season and, and a plus 180 to not have a winning record. If they lose this game, or even if they win, where do you think the Patriots are going to end up at the end of the season, you know, looking ahead? I still think they can fight their way to a 9-7 and seven record, but I would, I'd be willing to take the money that they don't have a record over 500. Um, yeah, they have two throwaway games versus the Jets still, uh, but they still do face very talented teams. You know, two matchups against Buffalo, one matchup each against both teams in Los Angeles. They've still got the Ravens. They've still got the Cardinals up on their schedule. Uh, and this is not even anything compared to those games. Uh, so I think if they don't win here and they truly do just drop to two and four, it's a tough road to 500. If they split all of those games I mentioned and then win the rest of the ones that I didn't, they're still sitting at seven and nine. So I, I it's a tough road here for Belichick, but if anyone can do it, it's him. Uh, but I wouldn't bet on it. Before the season started, I had them finishing around seven, nine to eight and eight. I think you were in the same boat as well. Uh, so it looks like that prediction may end up holding up pretty well. Yeah, you know, uh, you hate to see it. Uh, well, you know, Bill Belichick, you never know. Truly one of the league's most unpredictable people. <laughs> Let's move it along. The last 4 p.m. game of the week is going to be a great AFC West matchup uh, versus the Chiefs playing in Mile High Stadium against the Broncos. The Chiefs coming off a 26-17 win against Buffalo, whereas the Broncos, like we mentioned, upset New England by six points. Though they are very unlikely, apparently, according to Vegas, to repeat as champions uh, because their money line at plus 300 matches up with a Kansas City spread of minus nine and a half. Frank, deviating from the Super Bowl champions, are we staying in line of Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City to win every single time? Well, I've picked Kansas City to win and cover their spread in pretty much every single game. Uh, But I got to say, I was a little bit on the fence here of taking the Broncos at plus nine. I did like what we saw out of them last week against the Patriots with that upset victory. They've had a lot of injuries, but their defense is is frisky, to say the least, and they fight. But the Chiefs here, coming off off a much-needed victory against the Bills, still feels like they haven't really been firing on all cylinders. And I think in a divisional matchup here against the spotty Broncos secondary, this could be a spot where we potentially see this Chiefs offense explode. And Patrick Mahomes in his career versus the Broncos, 5-0 and record with a passer rating of 103. So look for Mahomes and company to have a big game. I don't think the Broncos can match that same energy on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm taking the Chiefs and the minus 9.5 points. 
Man, you love saying and company, right? As I'm about to talk about everyone else except for the quarterback. Uh, and I love that you set me up for that because I don't even think this Chiefs game is going to be won by Patrick Mahomes. This Chiefs, this Chiefs game is going to be won by this running team. I mean, the, uh, the big story has to be the fact that they ran 46 times for 245 yards. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks like a veteran. 26 carries on 161 yards is absolutely phenomenal. Not to mention Le'Veon Bell not, uh, is going to be a nightmare for this Broncos team that has not managed to put yards up on the field. And quite simply, I don't think they're going to be able to match up toe for toe for this uh, Chiefs team to even keep it close. Well, almost 10 is a big number to be there. I don't think that the Broncos team, who is probably going to be a little bit hungover over a big win last week, uh, is going to manage to keep that fire under them. And uh, I'm going to agree with you here on the Kansas City Chiefs money line and spread. Well, Rodham, we've made it to Sunday night, and uh, Sunday night in Las Vegas. How does that sound? Oh, you know what I'm about to say, Frank. I don't. Enlighten me. <laughs> you know what it's time for? It's time for Raiders football as the Raiders play host to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Man, it's two of the teams that we love saying weird names for, and uh, Tampa Bay obviously just came off a 28-point victory versus Green Bay. The Raiders coming off a bye week. Notably before that, off their bye week, they just beat the reigning Super Bowl champion Chiefs, uh, and I think that's pretty well represented here, uh, the spread being minus 2.5. This game could really go either way uh, with the Vegas money line at only plus 130. Which way are you leaning, Tom or Chucky? Well, the Raiders have uh, proved me wrong uh, numerous times this year. I haven't really picked in their favor a lot. Um, but, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. They've overachieved. They're 3-2. and two. Uh, That record could be even better. Um, but this is a tough spot for them. I know they're at home. I know this is a primetime game. But the Buccaneers, after that big win against Green Bay, I think they're going to keep it rolling here. And two and a half points is right in the sweet spot for me to pick them not only on the money line, but also the spread. Um, I like Tom Brady here in prime time uh, on the road. And Rob Gronkowski in Las Vegas, you're telling me he's not going to have a big game? Uh, I see it happen. And I see this Buccaneers team getting a victory. And I have a strong conviction that you're going to disagree with me here. Uh, you know, I lost my hill uh, up in Dallas, but I think I just moved it a little bit over to Las Vegas. And I, I'm going to say that this is a team that plays up to its opponents. I mean, it's had a few great wins against very, very talented teams. And this is just the third one uh, to go along with its wins versus the Saints and the Chiefs. I think the Buccaneers are the next head to stick on a pike uh, outside of Allegiant Stadium. And this bye week only makes me think that even stronger. You know, I I'm sure Tom has been very happy to outbattle his uh, opponent in Green Bay, but Derek Carr looks fantastic. And I know. I know that Chucky has been yelling crazy things in that in that practice facility for the last two weeks about how he wants to beat Tampa Bay. Not to forget, this is a team that he won a Super Bowl with uh, after leaving the Raiders. So you know there's a little bit of hatred for a guy like that. Uh, and a lot of factors that aren't statistics that I can bring up, but I, I just think that this is a passion game for him. And I think he's going to be play calling in a way where he's going to try and stick his throat down a team that might be a little bit cocky after beating the Packers. So yeah, there's a lot of reason to think that this Buccaneers team with the number one defense in the, in the nation, you know, Todd Bowles is not, not a joke. Number one in pass defense, number three in run defense, number one, overall, they win a lot of pass rushes. Uh, but this is a talented Raiders offensive line. This is a talented Raiders offensive play caller. Uh, and this is a talented Raiders team that has proven on multiple occasions that they play up to their opponents and they will continue to do so with the Buccaneers grabbing a victory with that plus 130 money line. Well, speaking of that Raiders offensive line, uh, we should note that on Wednesday, their starting right tackle, Trent Brown, was sent home on the reserve COVID-19 list. And along with him, uh, all four other offensive linemen were also sent home due to contact tracing. So let's hope that this game is played and played with the entirety of the Raiders' offensive line. I imagine that if it's not, if they're fielding an entire offensive line of backups, that you would change your uh, change your prediction on this game, no? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If this is a fresh offensive line and they're going to be facing up against Levante David and Devin White, uh, not even a question. That Buccaneers by a, a bajillion, you know? Yeah, for sure. But, you know, a little contact tracing never hurt nobody. Uh, no, you know, just trying to keep the players safe. And I'm glad to hear that. And hopefully they are doing all right. Uh, and that's that for our Sunday night game. And we'll move on to our final game of the week, Monday night. Uh, sadly, this week, there's no Tuesday night football. 
nor is there two games on Monday night. We are treated to just a single game. Questionable. You know, I don't know. I don't know where I'd rank this in, in all of this week. We've got a lot of good games. We mentioned Titan Steelers. Uh, Raiders Buccaneers, I dare say, is up there. Seahawks Cardinals is definitely up there. But I don't know if where Bears Rams stays. Uh, you know, we've seen the Bears pull off a few great games. Uh, we've seen the Rams pull off a few great games. The Rams lost with a, by eight points to San Francisco, whereas the Bears beat the Panthers by seven points last week. Uh, they're going kind of opposite directions, though surprisingly, the team that lost last week is actually favored by minus 5.5 with the Chicago money line at plus 210. Frank, how do you stand here? Well, these are two of the most difficult teams in the league to figure out right now. Uh, I keep picking against the Bears every week. They keep winning, and then when I pick against the Rams week after week, they lose. And I just can't put my finger on either of these teams, really. I mean, the Rams are four and two. All four of this, all four of their wins this year have come against the NFC East, so they are the de facto NFC East champions. So, congratulations to the Rams on that esteemed honor. But for the first time this year, I'm going to pick the Bears here uh, in an upset on the money line. They're five and one. But you wouldn't know it because they're five and a half point underdogs here against the Rams. And that's a little bit surprising to me. I'm surprised that despite their recent performances, they're not getting a little bit more respect from Vegas. I don't love this Bears team. I think even at 5 1, they are a little bit overrated. They're difficult to trust in the long run. But Jared Goff, in two games against the Bears in his career, zero touchdowns, five interceptions, 176 passing yards per game. And he's only completed 50% of his passes. Uh, Jared Goff has a reputation for not playing all too well in primetime spots. We saw that last week against the 49ers. History shows us that he struggles against the Bears. And I think he's going to struggle in this game. And I like Nick Foles in Chicago with the plus 210 money line upset on Monday Night Football. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I, I think I was really on the board here. I was really ready to take Rams. In fact, uh, about three seconds ago, I was preparing what I was going to say when I was going to defend the Rams. But you bring up a good point. You know, Jared Goff is not great prime time, and that's that's going to come to light very brightly here versus such a talented defense. Uh, you know, Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks are obviously there, and I, I was gushing over how much I love Raquan Smith last week. But it's the safeties, Eddie Jackson and Sean Gibson, that really showed up this week. And the layers of this defense just continue to be unfurled. We haven't even talked about Kyle Fuller or the fantastic Jalen Johnson, who was a starlet rookie just last week. And uh, I think that that's going to be a bad matchup here for Goff, who has looked quite bad. You know, I got to say that it did look like the Rams were in well a good position against the 49ers halfway through that game, but he just couldn't get the ball to his playmakers. And that's what Sean McVay is going to need him to do. The fact that he went three for nine for 11 yards when targeting his best receiver, Cooper Cup, uh, and one of those essentially just led to an interception. Another one led to a pretty easy three and out. I just think that it's not going to look great uh, here. And I think the Bears' money line at plus 210 is a pretty enticing number to uh, not just stick on their side. So yeah, I'm taking the defense and a hopefully bad appearance by Jared Goff here uh, to win it for the Cubsies. Yeah, well, you've been in favor of... Uh... Big Dick Nick and the Bears quite uh, quite often this year, and it's worked out well. So I'm hoping that me tagging along with you in this game will work out well for both of us. Uh, I hope so, too. Though, if they do lose this week, we all know that we can blame Frank uh, and only bet on the Bears when he's not on board, quite like the Panthers. Quite indeed. Uh, you know, Rodham, we're at the end of the set. We're at the end of all the games here. Here's a question for you. In all six weeks of the NFL season this year, there's been a team that's trailed by 16 points, and they've come back and won. So it's been the year of comebacks, and we've talked a little bit about it in all these games, the potential there. You have to pick one game uh, from this slate of Week 7 matchups where you could see a team falling down by 16 points and coming back and winning. Which game are you eyeing? Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, quite simply. Uh, a team that has greatly... A team that is going to have a fire under them, like I mentioned, I think that John Gruden is going to have that ready and he's going to be sparking all along the game. And if they go down early, I think they're a great candidate to make the comeback. But on the reverse side of that, I think Tom Brady is going to get really mad if he does end up finding himself on the bottom of three scores down. Uh, and him and Bruce Arians, an incredibly talented offense, could easily march up and down the field quite a few times to bring themselves to the comeback. So I think that's that's definitely the best game to be looking at. Uh, though aside from that, I think either of the NFC East matchups could totally happen because, once again, 
who the hell knows what's going to happen in either of those games? Certainly not any of those four teams. Yeah, those are good choices. If I had to pick one, I would say that Lions-Falcons game. I mean, two teams that their seasons have been defined, uh, except for with the exception of week six, their seasons have been defined by blowing leads, blowing double-digit leads. So something's got to give. I can see that happening in that game for sure. I should note that the odds on that number are plus 150 for a team this week to blow a 16-point lead versus minus 200 no. But if history proves true so far this season, it's going to happen in one of these games. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to that one. And uh, throughout the week, maybe we'll let you know which game we decide. It might be the best one to look for a comeback. So maybe you can get some live betting done in there. Uh, and you would find that information on our Twitter and our Instagram at PlayItPod. You can check out me for maybe some more information at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, where can listeners find you? You can find me at FrankJP0. Hey, Rodham, I've got a joke for you before we get out of here. Of course, hit me with it. What do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? Uh, and I actually, you know, never mind. It's irrelevant. A great one to leave the listeners on. Uh, I'm not going to give my whole voting spiel, though I hope you all contently voted uh, this week and uh, participated in our great, great democracy and are content with what you've done for the future. So enjoy that. We'll see you next week. And more dad jokes to come. Mm-hmm.